Hello there, my name's Andy, I teach creative writing, and I've published children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. This week, we're going to be looking at a fairly simple question with a not-so-simple answer. How do I write the first line of a story? Let's begin by reading a very famous opening line from Edward Bulwer-Lytton's novel Paul Clifford. It was a dark and stormy night. It's a much parodied opening. Snoopy, for example, uses it in his writings. But why is it seen as the archetype of silly beginnings? One of the commonest criticisms of Bulwer-Lytton's style is that it uses purple prose. By this we mean writing in an overly elaborate manner, showing off our command of language in a way which may be likely to bore readers. The following line of Bulwer-Lytton's novel certainly falls into that category. The rain fell in torrents except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. You have to hold on to your hat before reading that one, but it's harder to say that there's anything florid or inefficient about it was a dark and stormy night. It's trying too hard is a common criticism. Perhaps there's something in that, It makes us painfully aware of the mood it is trying to create. But then again, don't we like picturing the scene of the story? Don't we like things that create a sense of mood? In case you're beginning to worry, I'm not suggesting you should give the novel a second chance, but I do want to pin down a clearer sense of what we're trying to achieve in an opening line beyond these hazy ideas of not being purple and not trying too hard. Firstly, let's recap a little from a previous podcast. We talked about the idea of plot, and we settled on the notion that plot in small terms is any time the reader is encouraged to ask the question, why? We like these questions as a writer, and we want to create a good home for them in our stories so that readers don't get bored. Arguably, the worst thing we can do for our writing is to try to answer these questions before they appear. Bear that in mind, and consider this first line from Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. There was a hand in the darkness, and it held a knife. Not only do we wonder about the implications of this knife in the dark, but by choosing only to say a hand, we don't even know who is lurking. These are big why questions, and we're encouraged to ask them because of the immediate sense of threat they present. So perhaps the first criteria we could look for in our opening line is, does it make us read the next line? Does it provoke the question, why? So far, so good. But before you run off to write an opening line about a dimly lit place, 
where a sword is clutched in someone's teeth, let's recap another idea about how we present a story in an interesting way. Irony is a powerful tool when it comes to gaining attention. By irony, we mean either an awareness as a reader of something in the situation that characters may not be aware of, or a situation which is at odds with what we might ordinarily expect. Now, let's look at another famous opening line from J.M. Barrie's Peter Pan. All children, except one, grow up. If you don't have a good why question after hearing that, you're probably not paying attention. What does it mean by except one? This is certainly at odds with what we might ordinarily expect, and yet it's presented as a simple fact. That's the irony at work. It's not just that we need to read the next line to figure out what's going on. We need to read the rest of the story, because thematically, this is the story in a nutshell. The idea of having to grow up and not wanting to underpins the whole tale. The author has identified the first big why question of their story and then presented it as an ironic statement. Sound simple? Not really. The only other novel opening I can call to mind which intrigues us so much in so few words is probably there was no possibility of taking a walk that day in Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. So we've got some criteria for our good line. Basically we want it to make us read the next line, preferably using a why question. It might perhaps contain irony, and it may also introduce a sense of threat to get our attention. What else is there to consider? Well, risking the obvious, it can also be a good idea to start with a clear mental picture of what is taking place. By this, we mean a sense of a character in a situation, and perhaps a sense of who that character is. Let's try thinking about all of these criteria in the first line of E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. Where's Papa going with that axe? said Fern to her mother, as they were setting the table for breakfast. I certainly want to know the answer to that question. There's a sense of threat with the axe, and a sense of irony with the casual observation of this beside the breakfast table. But we've also got an impression of who Fern is, namely that she's a child, and where she is close to the breakfast table, with her mother in earshot. We've deduced all of this in 19 words, which is pretty good going. This is the point where someone often points out that their novel needs to start with an explanation of the world of their story, because the world is very different from our own, and no one will understand unless it's explained at the very beginning. This might seem like a bit of a pickle, but I would still stress the need to pay attention to the criteria we've just mentioned, 
before you go off into world building. Even novels which have a lot to present in terms of the world of their story best capture our attention by grounding the strangeness of their worlds in an interesting question, a sense of threat, a clear mental picture, or a sense of irony. Rather than trusting the strangeness of their worlds alone to interest us, Look at the first line of Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. In the land of Ingery, where such things as seven-league boots and cloaks of invisibility really exist, it is quite a misfortune to be born the eldest of three. There is plenty of scope to include lots of details about the makeup and history of this world, later, but in one line we have enough detail to start imagining things without being confused. We have a sense of a new land which we might be unfamiliar with, and we have two objects that belong in a fantasy world. At the same time, we're presented with a why question, a sense of approaching threat, and some gentle irony. We couldn't finish talking about opening lines without returning to that dark and stormy night example. Hopefully we can see now that it might be lacking in some of these criteria. A vague sense of threat is implied, so top marks there, but there isn't really anything that makes us read the next line to find out more, unless we're really interested in the weather. However, There is a huge disclaimer to this argument, because actually, as you may be aware, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night is one of the best-loved openings in children's fiction, at least according to the kind of articles I used to write, thanks to Madeleine Longle's A Wrinkle in Time. And perhaps that's because by the time she used the words, they were already ironic, they were a trope which you weren't supposed to use, so by using them, she was giving an amused nod to the reader. Also, it's fair to say that the following line immediately grounds us in a clear mental picture and provides a sense of threat. Here it is in full. It was a dark and stormy night. In her attic bedroom, Margaret Murray wrapped in an old patchwork quilt, sat on the floor of her bed and watched the trees tossing in the frenzied lashing of the wind. We've only scratched the surface of how to begin a story, and we'll have a lot more to explore in future podcasts. In fact, as much time as we've spent on it here, I would normally encourage people not to overthink their opening line, at least in the first draft. If we're being honest with ourselves, do we really judge a book by its opening line, unless it's especially terrible? How many opening lines can we recount from memory, or even recall the gist of, even from our favourite stories? If you spend too long trying to perfect it, you risk losing any momentum or excitement you have for the first draft of your story. And... Annoying as it might seem, opening lines and even opening scenes are often 
the first bit of scaffolding to be removed when it comes to the edit. In fact, a common editing fix for an opening that isn't working is to delete the first line or two and think about whether you actually needed them at all. Worst of all, in my opinion, privileging a particular tone just to get the first line right can mean pulling your writing into the kind of overly stylized prose that Bulwer-Lytton favoured. Accepting the Neil Gaiman example, these openings all feature a very narratory narrator, someone who is making us aware they are telling a story. This is great if the rest of the story is told in the same manner, but if you're writing something where the narrator is less obtrusive, it might mean forcing an opening line which is at odds with the rest of your work. I suppose what I'm really saying is, these aren't the only considerations. But for now, these are just some criteria to get thinking about, and if an amazing opening line grabs you at any time, make sure to write it down, because they won't appear that often. If you've enjoyed thinking about bad opening lines, I would definitely recommend checking out the Edward Bulwer-Lytton contest at bulwerlitton.com. Here, writers are encouraged to submit their deliberate attempts at the worst possible opening lines, including this fantastic example from John Hardy. Eli Jacob Crowley, the famed pioneer figure who spearheaded America's westward expansion by blazing the Crowley Trail in 1838, was an awe-inspiring figure of a man, as stout as a four-century-old oak, as intellectually complex as the fronds of a Florida palm, as singularly focused as the trunk of a giant sequoia, though in all other respects not like a tree at all. While we're on the topic of writing around the internet, I wanted to finish by sharing one of my favourite ways to waste time in the form of a question. Can a computer write children's fiction? I don't know why I find this so fascinating. Perhaps it's the creeping sense of dread that they're going to start doing it well in the not-so-distant future. But for now, I think it's mostly because I find it funny. In fact, you can see the results of a neural net attempting to write some opening lines at the incredible website AIWeirdness.com, producing such classic opening lines as I am forced to talk to my neighbours about the beast. And the very mysterious, he had a strange name and he was a very big boy indeed. My all-time favourite example of this odd world of technology and writing, and something that I think every aspiring children's author should read, is the example of a predictive text programme producing a chapter of Harry Potter on the site Botnik. You can check it out in its entirety online, but I hope they won't mind my reading a short excerpt for you to show just how exceptional it is. Chapter 13 The Handsome One The castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside 
was a great black ceiling which was full of blood. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds towards the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. If you two can't clump happily, I'm going to get aggressive, confessed the reasonable Hermione. What about Ron magic? offered Ron. To Harry, Ron was a loud, slow and soft bird. Harry did not like to think about birds. Death Eaters are on top of the castle, bleated Ron, quivering. Ron was going to be spiders. He just was. He wasn't proud of that, but it was going to be hard to not have spiders all over his body after all is said and done. I think we'll finish on that cliffhanger. Thank you for joining me. I hope you didn't just skip to that last part, otherwise that would have been quite confusing. All aspects of this podcast were created by me, AP Winter. Any questions, you can reach me on Twitter at AP underscore Winter and at my website, APWinterAuthor.com. Thanks to all of the authors and works mentioned today. There are too many to recap, but I hope if you haven't read them already, you'll give them a look. And thank you also to the websites AIWeirdness.com and Botnik.org for constantly blowing my mind. There will be lots more to talk about with regards to story openings in future installments. I hope you'll join me then.